Hello, and thank you for tuning in to the Encouragement Expert Podcast. We're glad you're here with us today. Let's join Pastor Wes Doffenbaugh as he speaks an encouraging message titled, The Cycle of Success. Praise the Lord. It's a delight to be with each one of you. We love you. God bless you in Jesus' name. Let's say a prayer together. Father, we want you to be the teacher, and we love it when you uh, expound your word to us, show us the applications, coach us in those daily applications. We'd, we'd like this to be really a, a word that abides in us, that we might live it the rest of our lives for um, for you to be glorified all over the world. Now surround us with your angelic guard. Put your ministering angels beside us, each one of us, Lord, to help us receive and retain. We vow to give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. My subject is the cycle of success. Now the world talks a lot about success and how to achieve it, and we've got to be very careful we do not adopt a false definition of success. Jesus gave us the very best definition of true success when he said to the Father, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. John 17:4. I brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. So we we must do the will of God, the work that he created for us to do. And then to be you know, to have real success would be to complete that work and not leave most of part of it or most of it undone. And then it must be done from a pure motivation, the desire to bring glory to the Father. And when it's accomplished, all glory must be returned to God. So we should all have uh, the desire to have this Jesus-style kind of success. Now, my first point is that earthly success is very deceptive. Jesus said, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions, Luke 12, 15. And then Jesus Christ, as our risen head of the church after his resurrection, said to the believers in the Laodicean church, you say, I am rich, I've acquired wealth and do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked, Revelations 3, 17. But to believers in the city of Smyrna, he said, I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich, Revelations 2.9. You see, real wealth, real riches are actually character virtues inside of us. It's what we become in Christ. Worldly people can have billions of dollars in their possessions all around them, but have a wretched poverty in their character. So they have earthly wealth outside of themselves, but they themselves have not become a spiritual jewel or a spiritual treasure. So they're deceived, and they never know that they're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, or naked until the devil comes with chains to take them to hell. And I want to recommend that you go to YouTube and watch a video, there's several of them online, of Jim Woodford, W-O-O-D-F-O-R-D. This man uh, died and spent 11 hours in heaven and has published a book called Heaven, An Unexpected Journey. Uh, but he almost went to hell. Now here's his story. He was so successful as an airline pilot and businessman that his, he was nicknamed Diamond Jim. Just about everything he touched uh, was prospered. He had his own airplane. He had a big boat. He had a collection of cars and many other possessions. But he contracted uh, Goulian Barr disease or syndrome, uh, I guess it's you'd say, and uh, and that eats the lining of the brainstem, causing all-consuming pain. And so one day he overdosed on pain pills, and he found himself suddenly pain-free. Thought, boy, those really worked. <laughs> but he was standing outside of his pickup truck, looking in at somebody else in his truck, slumped over the steering wheel, and he. He was getting angry, thinking, how'd that guy get in my truck? And then he realized it was his body. And uh, he thought, if I could only get back in my body, I could, everything would be okay. And so at that point, he said three words. He said, God, forgive me. And then he was sucked through a tunnel of some kind in the spirit. And he came out standing on perfect heavenly grass, uh, and then he looked to his right and the grass became brown and then it turned black and then it turned just to a burned crisp. And he 
was curious, so he walked over and looked down into a huge chasm. The walls were like black anthracite coal, and a red fire was burning at the bottom. And as he looked down, two ancient doors on the side of that big crevice creaked open, and a and a 60-foot demon with a face like a hyena shuffled out, and its body was all on fire. It looked around as if it was searching for something and then looked directly up at him, and it had his total hatred of mankind in its glowing eyes. Well, it began to rapidly climb uh, up the walls of the pit towards him, and when it got to the top, it spoke to him in a, in a voice that was between a growl and a whisper, and it said, Jim, Jim, we're here for you. We've come for you. Come with us. And human voices were screaming out of the inside of this huge creature. It was other souls that it had devoured. And Jim turned his back to that uh, monster and cried out, God, help me. As soon as he cried out, God, help me, three points of light appeared. They were angels. As they rushed in to help him, they frightened that demon, their light uh, frightened that demon back down into the pit. And that began his amazing, amazing conversion to Christ. Uh, but when he turned his back on that demon that was right behind him and cried for help, that demon raked its hand or its claw down his back. And now that's how close he came to being eternally lost. See, people in hell cannot get out. They are stuck there forever. Now, I urge you to look up on his online interviews and, and get his book, Heaven and Unexpected Journey, and give it to some lost person. Because he explains, as well as anyone in the world, just how deceptive worldly success is. <laughs> now, Jesus spoke of a rich farmer who had many possessions and planned to take life easy and enjoy all of his prosperity. But he was the Bible says he was not rich towards God, and God spoke to him and said, you fool, tonight your soul is required of you. Well, we don't want that kind of success that's so deceptive, right? We want to, we'd rather have the riches inside, poverty around us if, if necessary through persecution, but be, a, be rich inside of ourselves, rich in God not just rich in abundant possessions all around, while inside we're poverty-stricken, naked, blind, wretched, pitiful, poor. Now, my second point is the key word to relating to real success is dependency. I was 31 years of age when I went for a prayer walk, and I, I said, God, I want to be a great achiever. What's the key word in being a great achiever? And God spoke to me and said dependency, and that shocked me. I would have chosen the word perseverance because dependency sounded like a welfare recipient to me. Now, dependency upon government or others to care for you is not a good thing. Paul wrote, you should mind your own business and work with your hands just as we told you so that your daily life will win the respect of outsiders and so that you'll not be dependent on anybody. 1 Thessalonians 4, 11-13. However, we must depend on God and not on our own wisdom or strength. In Psalms 27.1, the Bible says, Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guard stands watch in vain. You see, all efforts for achievement that are independent from God will turn out to be vanity, empty nothingness. Jesus said, A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Matthew 7, 18. You know, there are billionaire philanthropists. They give away billions, but they don't know God. And they try to do good, but it all ends up being vanity or bad fruit. And I could go on in examples, but I'll avoid that. Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 5, 3. Now, to be poor in spirit means to be totally dependent on God. So that's the very first of the Beatitudes of Christ. And Jesus said, As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine. 
you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing means nothing eternal, nothing lasting, nothing meaningful, nothing that gets a heavenly reward. Now these billionaires who have built vast fortunes apart from God are considered a great success story of this age. But the Bible says better is a little that the righteous has than the abundance of many wicked. (laughs) Better a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. Better a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. I just quoted you three Bible verses. Now, human pride can't do anything right. It cannot bear good fruit because it's rooted in self-dependency rather than dependency upon God. Now, when God spoke the word dependency to me, he followed it up by showing me a lesson I call the cycle of success. And God taught me that he is success. The great I am, he could say, I am success. You will never be success, but you can cycle in success with me. And then true success has seven steps or the cycle. To depend on God is number one, and then to seek God in your dependent, humble attitude, and then to seek God until you hear from God. You don't have to necessarily hear a voice, but you've got to have God communicate to you, whether through the word or a prophetic person or an angel or a spiritual dream or whatever. You've got to hear from God. Number four, obey God. Number five, persist in obedience. And the reason you can persist in obedience is because you're depending on God, and, and as you depend, you get his strength and his wisdom and his power and his help. Persistence leads directly to great achievement. If you'll stay persistent, depending on God, you will achieve wonderful things by God's power, love, and wisdom. And so that's the sixth step. And then number seven, you return the glory to God. To cycle in success means that after one great victory, you give God the glory and immediately you go back to start a new cycle by depending on God again, like a little child that would just say, Father, what do I do next, and how do I do it? Now listen carefully to me. The days are coming upon America. The days that are coming are going to demonstrate the vanity of those who built the house and guarded the city while they ignored and even disdained Almighty God. Now you know that the Bible says, I'll repeat it again, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord guards the city, The watchmen stand guard in vain. And we could also say, unless the Lord saves the planet, those who try to save it through their own plans and labors, independent of God, will all labor in vain. Now, friend, bad trees, be they individuals or massive governments, cannot bear good fruit. Listen carefully. This terribly rotten fruit will result in a great energy crisis, electrical brownouts and blackouts, extremely high costs of fuel, especially diesel, that is going to disrupt the distribution of all goods and foods, as well as produce a currency crisis of hyperinflation. Now my third point, the Lord God Almighty will have no problem defending the honor of his name when all that happens. And this truth gives me courage and comforts me greatly. It fills me with hope and joyful anticipation of many miracles. Jesus said to the Father in John 17, I have made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Verse 26 of John 17. Now when Jesus reveals the name or names of the Father, he doesn't do it with a grammar lesson, a chalkboard, or Hebrew or Greek lessons. He demonstrates God's names with miracles. He demonstrates God's name, Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord our provider, when he multiplied a single lunch of five little small loaves and two dried fish and fed 5,000 men plus all the women and children. That's how he That's how he taught what the name Jehovah Jireh means. Now, Jehovah Rapha is the Hebrew name for the Lord our healer. And how did Jesus reveal that name? Not with a Hebrew lesson, but by healing everybody that was brought to him, even all the hard cases. 
and he has promised to continue to reveal his name. And he's going to do this in impossible situations. Remember when he, Moses said, what shall I tell him your name is? He said, tell him my name is I am. In other words, God isn't the God who was or the, uh, was the miracle God or the God who will be someday. He's right now, I am. And he will reveal, Jesus is going to reveal the wonderful names of God even in the most impossible situations. Now, we find an example of the Lord revealing his name Jehovah Nissi, or the Lord our banner, which means the Lord our victory in war. The Philistines amassed for battle, and they had 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, and troops like the sand of the sea, and they all had weapons. Now, Israel had 600 troops, but only the king and his son Jonathan, King Saul and Jonathan, they had swords. None of their troops had either spears or swords. Now that situation was ridiculous. You got two soldiers that have a sword and a spear and the 600 that are with them don't have any weapons but there's 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, troops like the sand of the sea and they all have weapons. The situation absolutely ridiculous odds. That's 50 enemy chariots for every soldier of Israel and 10 cavalry for every soldier of Israel and innumerably more soldiers. But Jonathan, the king's son, depended on God and he said to the young man who carried his armor, come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. Well, the next thing that happened is uh, uh, the Philistines taunted them and, and told them to cut, climb up a cliff to them and they'd teach them a lesson. So they climbed up on their hands and feet. The Philistines could have, you'd have thought, thrown a rock down on them. They were vulnerable, but they got up to the top and the Bible says the Philistines fell before Jonathan. Now, I believe that means a wave of God's power knocked him to the ground and, and probably helplessly paralyzed them. And so Jonathan and his armor bearer quickly killed all 20 of them. And you'll remember in John uh, 18, verse 6, when the troops came to arrest Jesus, he said, whom are you seeking? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. He said, I am he. And a wave of power came out from him and knocked them to the ground. <laughs> Jesus didn't uh, have his life taken from him. He laid it down voluntarily. Nobody could have taken uh, his life from him. Well, Back to the story of uh, Jonathan and his armor bearer. As soon as those 20 were killed, God sent an earthquake and a panic from God and the Philistines. Remember, they had his troops as many as the sand of the sea. They all began to fight each other and strike each other with their swords. Now, why would they do that? Well, I'm using my imagination here. I think unseen angels were poking them in the sides with their spiritual weapons and these guys would turn around and wouldn't see the angel, but they'd see another soldier close to him and they'd assume that he did it. So they'd whack each other. And in that way, they were just killing each other off. And the panic from God. Well, Israel experienced a huge victory in an absolutely impossible, ridiculous situation. Now, here's another example. When Joshua led Israel across the Jordan River into Canaan, they obeyed God, okay. They destroyed the city of Jericho. Uh, the walls fell down, meaning they went down like an elevator. They didn't tip over. They went straight down into the ground as if the ground got soft underneath these giant walls and they just, the enemy was trusting in those walls and God just made them go right straight down into the ground and they ran straight in and conquered the city. But next they were supposed to conquer a little town called uh, Ai and... Uh, Unbeknownst to Joshua, one of his troops had disobeyed God. God said that everything in Jericho was under the ban. It was all devoted to destruction. And Achan took some silver, some gold, some clothing, and hid it in his tent. And so when they went to battle the next time, God wasn't with them. And that little town chased them and killed 36 of them, something to that order. And then when they were defeated like that, their hearts melted and became as water. And the Bible says Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of God until evening. 
he and the elders of Israel. You know, the Ark of the Lord was a, was a box covered with gold, and inside of it was uh, the Ten Commandments and a, and a jar of manna. So it wasn't like Noah's Ark, all right? Well, uh, they fell to the ground. They put dust on their heads, and Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to give us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? Would that we had been content to dwell beyond the Jordan. O Lord, what can I say when Israel has turned their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear. They'll hear of it and will surround us and cut off our name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? Joshua chapter 7. Well, the Lord rebuked Joshua uh, and told him, Get up off your face. Israel has sinned. Now, see, Joshua was acting like God had failed them. And so God rebuked him. Israel has sinned. They've transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They've taken some of the devoted things. They've stolen and lied, put them in their own belongings. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because they've become devoted to destruction. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. Now, you see, my point here is, listen carefully, God has never had and never will have a problem defending the honor of his name. There will never be a circumstance so bad or so terrifying that the Lord will not be able to gain glory for all of his names as our provider, healer, deliverer, savior, shepherd, and all of the other great names of God. God told Jeremiah, I am watching over my word to perform it. In the same way, God watches over his name to exalt it. And so when Jesus said, I have made known uh, to them your name and will continue to make it known, this is a, a double sure thing. He, it's God's word, God's promise, and God's name. And God's certainly going to exalt his word and his name above all the things the enemy could possibly concoct and hurl at us. Praise God. And when he reveals his names, remember, it's going to be experientially, not just a language lesson. Now, once Israel got the devoted things uh, back to being devoted to God, and uh, the man was, you know, the criminal man that did that was destroyed, then they got back into obedience, and the seven nations that were more numerous than Israel that already lived in Canaan were no problem at all for them. They proceeded to destroy uh, 29 more kings while Joshua was alive. So my point is there's no situation, however bleak, desperate, or terrible, that can stop God from having complete victory. So do not fear the future. But you and I must cooperate with God, and that begins with humble dependency where we say, God, you know, with God, with you, Lord, all things are possible, and nothing's impossible with you and for you. Now, my fourth point, you've got to seek God with all your heart as never before. We need to seek God for guidance, for miracles of provision and miracles of protection from social upheavals and violence. But we should all tell God, what I want most is you. I want to know you. I want to please you. I want to abide in you. I want to be a comfort and delight to you. I want to love you like you'd like to be loved. I want to be one with you. <laughs> now, Jesus said, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Matthew six thirty three. Desire, when you seek God, see, if, if, if all we do is just seek him for miracles, seek him for protection, seek him for a guidance, well, that's not as good as just seeking him for him, to desire to be with him, to be hungry for God himself. Seek God to find him and enjoy him. Now, if we'll do that, guidance, provision, protection, anointing for ministry, all the other needs will be added to us. This seeking takes time. You see, responsibilities, busyness, distractions, interruptions, and the love for other things will create a delusion, a lying deception that you do not have time to spend with God. Now, a saddle blanket pads the horse's back so that it won't get rubbed raw by the pressures of the saddle and the rider. And my dad, I grew up on a ranch, he used a lightweight saddle blanket 
because the saddle that he used was lined with sheepskin, and so it had plenty of padding already, so he'd use a light saddle blanket because he didn't need anything more heavy. But unknown to my dad, my puppy gnawed the lining out of the underside on one side of that saddle. And so this lack of padding then produced a saddle sore on his horse's back. And from that, I learned that it does no good to put on a saddle blanket on the horse after it's rubbed raw. (laughs) The idea is to pad the horse's back before it's saddled and ridden. Now, you're like the horse. You're going to be saddled and ridden by the pressures and responsibilities of life. And these pressures are going to greatly increase because of horrible government decisions. I want you to pay attention. These pressures are going to greatly increase because of horrible government decisions. If you don't pad yourself with plenty of time with God, you're going to be rubbed raw. You're going to live in various pains of despair, confusion, hopelessness, endless questions without answers, and a grim joylessness. In short, you'll be okay if you have a thicker saddle blanket than you've needed in the past. By thicker saddle blanket, I mean more time with God than you've uh, taken in the past. Now, God's not worried about problems like we are. He knows that all the problems just can serve to draw us to himself. Paul learned this. Problems led Paul to depend fully upon God and seek God earnestly until his fellowship with God became profound. And he wrote, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I'll boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong, 2 Corinthians 12. Now, the NIV translation says, I delight in weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, etc. Now, you certainly won't be worried about these things if you delight in depending on God and seeking God until his power is made manifest in you and through you. Friend, you'll know if, you're, if you aren't spending enough time with God if you, have, if you develop saddle sores. <laughs> and it's called a, yeah, I'm going to say it again. You'll know if you aren't spending enough time with God if you have saddle sores of fear, uncertainty, despair, fainting, and a weariness that just demands that you give up and die. Then you'll know. I'm not spending enough time with God. That's simple. I'm going to get padded. I'm going to spend time with him. Now, the Bible says, They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Isaiah 40, 31. Now, two wings, by the way, the wings of the eagles are hope and faith working together. Now, the Bible says, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. When we take time and make time for God, we hope again. We see something good ahead. We believe again. We receive from God again. I like to go to bed early so that I can rise early and seek God in his word until I feel like praying. So, you know, if you go to bed at 8 and sleep 8 hours, you'll wake up at 4. If you go to bed at 9, you'll wake up at 5. go to bed at 10, you'll wake up at 6, assuming that 8 hours is sufficient for you. So I like to uh, I like to have those early morning times with God. Therefore, it's it's all important that I uh, don't let myself stay up doing some uh, frivolous thing till I'm um, too tired to get up early. So I like to go to bed early. I can rise early, seek God in His Word until I feel like praying, and then I worship Him in prayer. I tell Him how much I love Him, how much I want to be conformed to His image. I do make petitions then and ask Him things, casting my cares upon him. Now, I like to have three hours in the early morning for this, but if I notice spiritual saddle sores, I'm going to increase that time for the extra spiritual padding. Now, my fifth point is you've got to hear from God, some kind of communication, because the cycle, remember, is to, number one, depend on God, number two, seek God, number three, hear God, Obey God, persist in obedience, achieve, and return the glory to God. And then go back to depending on God. Remember, the musical scale has seven notes. Do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, ti. Do, but that last do is the start of a new scale. 
So in the same way, depend on God, seek God, hear God, obey God, persist in obedience, achieve, return the glory to God, and go right back to depending on God. <laughs> All right. It doesn't, this doesn't sound right to say do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, ti. It doesn't sound right, does it? All right. Well, it's not right unless you go back to depending on God. Now, Jesus said, let him who has ears to hear, let him hear. What does that mean? The book of Jeremiah tells us how a remnant of Judah, the nation of Judah, had been destroyed by Babylonian armies. There was only a small remnant left. And uh, they asked the prophet Jeremiah to seek God for them for direction. And they promised to do whatever God said to him. So he sought God for 10 days. That's a real prophet doesn't just make something up. And then he gave them God's word. And the word was, do not return to Egypt for safety. Stay in the land of Judah and, and God will uh, give you favor with the Babylonian conquerors and, and you'll be okay and God will watch over you. But if you go to Egypt, God promised that the sword that they feared would follow them and that every single one of them would be destroyed in war, famine, and plague. Now, sadly, they had their minds made up already. They were only willing to hear God if God said what they wanted to hear. And so they said to Jeremiah, as for the word that you have spoken to us in the name of the Lord, we will not listen to you. First, they promised to listen. Now they're not going to listen. So they went to Egypt, but they didn't know that the Babylonian king that had destroyed Judah was on his way next to conquer and destroy Egypt. So like the proverb, they jumped from the frying pan into the fire. Now, hearing from God first and foremost, depends upon a willingness to hear and do whatever God says. You've got to start out with a surrendered will. What good will it do to hear God if you're stubborn? A hearing ear is a willing to obey ear. If your will is not surrendered to God prior to this hearing, you're very likely to reject God's word and refuse to hear the word you've heard. Now, my dad gave me a full-blood registered quarter horse mare when I was a teenager. I named her Carmelita, beautiful horse. A poorly trained horse is hard to steer, hard to guide, hard to rein. And so if they're not taught well, you got to pull on the, they want to go left, you got to pull on that left rein, maybe even reach your arm way out and forcibly turn their head. But a, but a good horse, you'd just pull the reins a little to the left so that the right rein would touch the right side of their neck and they'd immediately know to go left. When you want to go right, you just touch that uh, left rein just a little bit to the left side of their neck and that knows them you want them to go right. And uh, the better the horse, the more imperceptible the communication is between the rider and the horse. Uh, that's called that they, good, they, they neck rein well. And so they're just the slightest movement of the reins tell that horse what you want it to do. Uh, and only a bad horse has to have real, real strong demonstrative signals. Now, uh, the more that the horse and the rider work together, I even learned to communicate to my horse through my knees. If I didn't want to move the reins, I'd just uh, press with my knee a little bit on one side of the horse to show him to go the other way. And working with a horse like that is, is delightful. It's like you, uh, they be, you, you become one and uh, you work together in such beautiful harmony. Well, I, I think that that applies in the spiritual realm to our walk with God. As I look at my life, I heard the voice of God louder and even more frequently when I was young. Now his communication to me is much more subtle, more gentle. And it's my personal belief that he delights in having me pick up on, his, on the signals of his will without him having to shout or pull hard on the reins, so to speak. In other words, the hearing ear is, is expressed well in these two verses of a song I wrote called Grant My Desire. And it goes, Lord, what I seek is to hear you speak your words to me. What will you say to me today? I want to hear. And Lord, I want to obey all your commandments today. 
I crave to please you, so fill me with your love again. The next verse goes, freely you give wisdom to live like Jesus Christ. Show me today the perfect way to honor you. I'll do your will if I know just where and how I should go. Let's go together, sweet spirit of God, you're my friend. Well, that's a wonderful prayer song, and it expresses the hearing ear. Be surrendered. Seek God for his will. And the more you walk with him, then he can whisper to you instead of shout. (laughs) All right, he can beam light into you. He doesn't even have to speak. Now, my dad used to be able to just look at me and uh, either a smile of approval or disapproval, and uh, man, I got it. He didn't even have to speak. My sixth point is obey God. Now, once I told the Lord that I wanted to love him like he wanted to be loved, and I prayed, oh, God, teach me to love you. I just cried out to God, oh, God, I want to love you. Teach me to love you. And he spoke five sentences to me, one at a time, with a pause between them. The first one, he said, love me like Mary, who sat at my feet. You remember the story of Mary and Martha. Martha was too busy cooking lunch for Jesus, but Mary sat at his feet listening to his teaching. And I knew that that meant to drink in the word of God and to love to hear the word of God. Then he said, love me like John, who leaned on my breast. And at the Last Supper, John just put his head over on Jesus' chest and whispered, Lord, who is it? And I knew that that meant, uh, you know, Jesus whispered, it's uh, the one I give the bread to after I've dipped it in the dish. And he dipped it and gave it to Judas, but he didn't publicly embarrass Judas. I knew that that meant to be intimate with God in prayer, where there's a two-way communication. And then he said, love me like the woman who anointed my feet. And that passed by me. I didn't understand it. And then he said, love me like the good Samaritan. I knew that meant to love hurting and suffering people as if they were Jesus himself. Then he said, love me like Abraham, who always obeyed me. Now, Abraham always obeyed instantly. And uh, the Lord explained to me that the, the women who anointed, or the woman who anointed his feet, he said that the, the pastors, the full-time apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists, that they're the feet of the body of Christ because they bear the weight of the body, the responsibility. Just like the feet bear the weight of the body, the, those ministers, those full-time ministers, carry the weight of responsibility for the church. And then he said, as like the feet, they take the most abuse. So pour your love on pastors as a way of loving God. Now back to Abraham who always obeyed. When, when God told him that he wanted to establish a covenant with him and he made a covenant of circumcision so that all the men were going to cut off their foreskins with a flint knife, uh, immediately after God told him that, he got all the men of his household together and his son Ishmael and they were, they were all circumcised immediately. Well, that was a hard thing to do. Now, when his wife Sarah, you know, had uh, given uh, her maid, her servant to him, so because Sarah was barren, and so he had a child by this lady named Hagar. But when Sarah had her own baby, she said, send that uh, child of the slave woman away. He won't share the inheritance with my son, Isaac. But see, that boy was not just the servant's child. It was Abraham's child, And he was greatly distressed. But that night God told him to do it and promised that he'd be with the boy. So the Bible says Abraham arose early in the morning and sent them away with some bread and a skin of water. Now, how would you like to send your own son out into the desert with a lunch? The only way he could do that was that God promised that the angel of the Lord would be with them. But that was a hard thing to do. But Abraham instantly obeyed. And then when Isaac remained as his only son, God spoke to him and said, take Isaac, go up to the region of Mount Moriah and sacrifice him there as a burnt offering where I show you. And so Abraham took the boy, went all the way up, built an altar, put the wood on it and tied his son to the altar and was ready to erase the knife to sacrifice him. And God called, said, Abraham, Abraham. And, uh, He said, don't harm the boy. I know now that you really fear me. You really love me. And there was a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. And so Abraham sacrificed that ram instead. 
Now, you see, in all three instances, what God told Abraham to do was something really hard, something that seemed absolutely crazy. You know, what if he had said, Lord, uh, these guys aren't, they're not going to like this circumcision stuff. <laughs> uh, what about uh, sending his, he could have said, Lord, I, I'm a, you love the family. What are you telling me to send my oldest son away out into the wilderness? That can't be right. Or what if he just said, are you kidding me? Sacrifice Isaac. But Abraham always obeyed. Now, let's just worship God for a minute. God is God. Whatever he tells us to do, we ought to do it. And we ought to know the word well enough that if some evil spirit speaks to something stupid for us to do, that we wouldn't obey the devil thinking that it was God. Of course, we want to just obey God. Now, my seventh point is we want to persist in obedience. We must mix our efforts with God's grace. And God's grace gives us power to obey, power to persist. But we've got to mix our best efforts with that and keep on obeying no matter how hard it is or how long it takes. There's many examples of this in the Bible. The Apostle Paul said, But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. 1 Corinthians 15.10 The Apostle Paul also wrote, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart is working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Colossians 3.23 Now let me give you two examples of all-out human effort combined with God's grace, and there are more plenty more in the Bible, but David's town of Ziklag was given to him by the Philip, um, Philistine king. And uh, him and his 600 men were living there, but when they tried to go to battle with the Philistines against King Saul, David hoped to be able to turn in the battle, but the Philistines suspected him of that, and, and uh, the rulers uh, told the king, get that guy out of here. And he was sent back to his own village. So they marched two whole days to get back to Ziglag. And they got there on the third day and found it had been burned. All their houses burned. All their families kidnapped. All their possessions stolen. And they wept until they had no more strength to weep. But David started a new cycle of success by his dependence upon God. He resisted the despair and instead sought God. Now there was a priest with him. But the priest was too distraught to be of any use, so David commanded that the priestly garment, which was called an ephod, be brought to him. He put it on and inquired of God himself and said, Shall I pursue this band? Will I overtake them? And God spoke to him and said, Pursue, for you'll surely overtake and shall surely rescue. So they set off again. But out of the 600, 200 men were too exhausted to cross the brook of Besor. And so they remained with the baggage, and David pressed on with 400 men. And they came to the enemy's camp at twilight. And then they struck them until the evening of the next day. And the Bible says, Not a man of the enemy escaped except for 400 young men who mounted camels and fled. Now David only had 400 men, so that means they attacked a much larger force. And they had already marched two, two whole days and then they got to Ziklag on the third and then they wept till they had no more strength and then they set off again and then they got to the enemy camp in the evening and then they fought 24 straight hours until evening of the next day. Now they had a big achievement, a big victory. David and his 400 men uh, recovered everything all the plunder, not a daughter, not a son, nothing was missing. And so he sent uh, gifts from all the plunder that the enemy had taken in other places to the elders of Judah because King Saul had been killed in battle when those Philistines did fight against him. And uh, so the uh, people uh, of Judah made David king in Hebron. So God turned what the devil meant for evil and turned it into a great blessing and miracle. But notice, David really persisted. He, got, he sought God. Well, he depended on God. He sought God. He heard God. And then he obeyed. And then he persisted in obedience. The bottom of the success cycle falls out if you don't persist. And persistence takes you directly to godly achievement and victory. 
But notice he gave all of his heart. And uh, it was really to exhaustion and beyond. You know that uh, Disney character uh, that says, to infinity and beyond. Uh, well, I think uh, David and his men could have said, to exhaustion and beyond. And they could go beyond exhaustion because of the grace of God that was helping them. And when they returned then, uh, some of David's men didn't want to share the plunder with the 200 men who had been too exhausted to go with them. And and they were just going to give them their son and daughter, but we're not going to give them any of the property. And uh, David said, you shall not do so, my brothers, with what the Lord has given us. He has preserved us and given into our hand the band that came against us. Who would listen to you in this matter? For as his share is who goes down into the battle, so shall his share be who stays by the baggage. They shall share alike. And so in that way, he returned the glory to God by saying, uh, the Lord has done this. He has given us all this plunder. He has given the enemy into our hand. And notice it's an honor to fight and gain the victory for others who are too weak to fight. We ought to consider it an honor. Well, David returned the glory. Now, that's just one cycle of success. See, and so if you ever want to have another one, you got to go back to depending on God because you're not going to be defined as a success. Your past doesn't guarantee your, your future success. You can only cycle in success with God who is success himself. Let's look, take a look at Gideon from the book of Judges. Now, Gideon depended upon God, sought God, heard God, and obeyed God, but he had to persist in obedience too. God didn't let him take a bunch of soldiers with him. The Midianites had 135,000 enemy troops. And Gideon, Gideon attacked them with 300 men. That's 450 to 1 odds. And then 120,000 of the enemies were dead, but not one of Gideon's 300 men were dead. And he pursued after the remnant of Midian's army. They had 15,000 men. Still 50 to 1 odds. And they had the two kings of Midian. Now his men and him were exhausted. And they went to two different Jewish villages and asked for food. But the villages wouldn't give them a thing. And yet they pressed on. Even though they were exhausted. They went beyond exhaustion. Obeying. Persisting in obedience. Came and did a surprise attack against the enemy. Captured the two kings of Midian. And just uh, threw that what was left of their army into a panic. Well, what an amazing achievement. Now, remember the eighth point here is that you got to, when you achieve, you got to return the glory to God. So whatever our achievement or victory is, all glory must be turned to God. Now, King Saul had went on an assignment to destroy the Amalekites. God spoke through Samuel and said, go to destroy those wicked people. But God said, destroy everything that breathes, all the livestock, all the people. And Saul kept alive the king, and he kept alive the best of the livestock so they could sacrifice those animals instead of their own when they had to do their regular sacrifices. And uh, after he disobeyed God by doing that, he went and set up a monument to himself, 1 Samuel fifteen twelve. Well, that's a bad move. So he broke the cycle in obedience, and, and also he didn't return the glory to God. He broke it in two places. And the spirit of the Lord departed from him from that time on, and an evil spirit oppressed him. Now remember, Gideon had this marvelous achievement. Uh, he had depended on God, sought God, heard God, obeyed God, persisted in obedience and achieved. And then the Bible says the people wanted him to rule over them, but he refused and said, the Lord will rule over you. That's given God the glory. But then he wanted a little bit of the glory after all. And so he said, uh, I have a request. I'd like every one of you to throw an earring on this garment that I'm going to spread out because uh, all the enemy soldiers wore these gold earrings. And he said, I'll just take an earring of the glory. He didn't word it that way, but that's what was happening. And so they gladly gave him all those golden earrings. Soon that garment was covered in thousands of solid gold earrings. And the Bible says Gideon made a, a golden ephod, which would have been a priestly garment made out of gold. And he put it in his city. And the Bible says all Israel began to worship it as an idol. And it became a snare to Gideon and his family. Now later, 
a, a, a son that he had fathered through a, a concubine uh, killed 70 other brothers, the sons of Gideon, on one stone. Uh, tragedy, such huge tragedy came into his family. Why? Because he took an earring of the glory. Now I'm at my conclusion of this message. Jesus said, now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. I want to ask you, dear friend, are we doing these things? Are we truly depending on God? Are we seeking him with all our hearts and souls, not just for help, not just so he'll show us the future and we'll know what to do in all the coming problems? Are we seeking him for fellowship, just to love him, to be with him? Are we hearing with willing hearts? Do we go to him saying, God, tell me what to do, but have our minds made up, or are we willing to do anything he says? And then are we obeying? And then are we obeying with all of our might, no matter how hard it seems or how hard it takes? If so, we will achieve. And then we've got to be very careful to return all the glory to God, the seventh step, and go back and start a new cycle by depending on God all over again. We want to remember that only God is a success. He's unchanging. He's never failing. And God doesn't want you or me or any of us to think of ourselves as a success because we have the capacity to disobey, to not depend, to not give God the glory. We can fly out of orbit from that success cycle at any time. And how tragic it was for David to have cycled with the Lord. The Bible says the Lord gave David victory everywhere he went. And it says that three or four times in the Bible until finally David broke the cycle in a terrible disobedience of committing adultery with a, one of his mighty man's wives, wife and, uh, and then assigning that man to the front lines where he'd be killed so he could take that woman as his own wife. And God uh, punished him severely for that. Uh, well, any of us can break that cycle of success. Never get to thinking of yourself as a success. Always think of God. He's the success. If I, I can cycle with him, but I've got to depend on him. I've got to seek him. I've got to communicate with him, hear from him. I've got to obey. I've got to persist in obedience by the power of God's grace. I'll give it my best effort mixed with his power. And when I achieve, I'm going to return all the glory to him and go back like a little child and start a new cycle. Take that deeply to heart because that cycle will work through the most desperate situations, through the most impossible odds, through everything the devil can think of or throw at you. I love you. God bless you. If you would like to partner with us at Encouragement Expert, please email us at pastorbacker at gmail.com. Or you can write P.O. Box 485, Cresswell, Oregon, 97426.